Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it's my, ple- my pleasure and privilege to bring you the word of God today. I want to wish you guys a happy New Year's Eve once again. Uh, our passage today is from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be reading from verses 11 through 16. First uh, Timothy chapter 6. You could turn there in your, in your Bibles or it will also be projected overhead. I'll read this for us, First Timothy chapter 6. I'll be starting at verse 11. Let's give our attention and reverence for this is the reading of God's holy word. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. May the Holy Spirit bless the reading and preaching of his word. Well, it is New Year's Eve, and uh, I always make this mistake that I... I tend to, for some reason, I tend to always share my New, Year's Eve resu- my New Year's resolutions from the pulpit, and then what ends up happening is throughout the whole year, church members come up to me, and they ask me how I'm doing with these resolutions, and I have to always sheepishly tell them that I'm not doing them well at all, and that happens throughout the whole year because I'm making it known to so many people at once, uh, so might, might as well just do it again, right? Um, it's very simple. The usual stuff, you know, to eat better, to eat more healthy, you know, to exercise, period. I, I was going to say exercise more, but that would be misleading. That would mean I exercise now, uh, to exercise, period. And of course, you know, we don't want to just stop there. Uh, the reason we read today from 1 Timothy chapter 6 is I do hope that for all of us, as we consider this new year, uh, but really as we just consider the rest of our Christian lives, uh, that we can make fighting the good fight a resolution of ours, right? Be it in 2018 or, you know, be it in January or just be it just because we're Christians, because we're sons and daughters of God, that we can make fighting the good fight our resolution. So today, very simply, I just want to address three questions uh, from this passage uh, that, re- that tell us, what, what does it even mean to fight the good fight of faith? What does that mean? You may have heard that phrase before. I know at least one of my uh, sisters here at this church, she put it up on her Instagram caption on her uh, profile page, you know, to fight the good fight. But what does that look like? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask three questions. First, How do we fight? In other words, quite simply, what does the good fight look like? Uh, Secondly, why do we fight? Uh, In other words, what drives us to fight the good fight? And then third, who's watching this fight? How do we fight? Why do we fight? And who's even watching? Let's get right into it. How do we fight the good fight? What does this fight look like? You may have noticed the first thing we see from, Tim, uh, from Paul as he addresses Timothy and really as he addresses all of the church that would read this letter. He says, flee these things and then pursue these things. If you know I'm a fan of MMA, 
the temptation for me is because this is a, a, a sermon on the fighting the good fight. You know, I'm going to just make fighting references throughout the whole sermon. I'm going to do my best not to do that. But it makes a lot of sense here. Well, as, as Paul charges Timothy and the rest of us, flee these things and pursue these things. What we see is what all good fighters need. Right? You need to have a good defense and a good offense. Right? You need to be able to reject and avoid and evade the things that are, are to be rejected and then to, to, to pursue and grasp the things that we need to go for. Right? That's offense and defense. Uh, we might, theologically, we call this quite simply sanctification, right? The mortification of sin, taking off the old man, fleeing these things, rejecting these things, and then uh, the vivification of new life in Christ, pursuing that which we have in Christ, the good, the blessings, the, the, that which comes from the grace of God. And we are to, it's quite clear there is to be both a taking off and a putting on, a fleeing and a pursuing, saying no to some things and then saying yes to the good things. And, you know, of course, in, in, in our day and really in, in any day throughout history, it's always been much more cool to say yes just to everything, right? That's always been the case. It's much more cool, it's much more nice, it's much more comfortable just to say yes to everything. But we see quite clearly here to fight the good fight means to flee and to pursue. To say no and to say yes, to, to take off and to take on. So what is it that first we are to flee? We didn't read it in our passage, all we see is flee these things. And what are these things? Um, we, we won't turn there, but you can look there later. Just right before our passage, in the first part of 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells us what these things we are to flee are. I'm just going to list them for you somewhat quickly. But as I list them, I do want you to think, ask yourself. I think it's, it's pretty clear to all of us, as you just look at your own life and look at your own heart, there are clearly things I need to be fleeing. There are things I want to flee in 2018. Obviously, the, the, not fleeing the good things, but fleeing the bad things. Here's the list that Paul gives us in the first part of 1 Timothy 6. Flee unhealthy craving for controversy. For those of us who love drama a little too much, drama for your mama, unhealthy craving for controversy. Flee that. Flee envy. That one's pretty straightforward. Flee envy. Flee dissension. The, the, the creating of disunity, free dis, flee dissension, flee slander. How we talk about people. Do we talk about people in a way where if they accidentally overheard us talking about them, would we be devastated by that? Flee evil suspicions. I, I struggle with this one. Always assuming the worst in people or in certain people or certain types of people. Maybe certain races of people, certain political views, and we have these evil suspicions. Constant friction with others. And then, of course, the big one that comes right before our passage. Flee the love of money. The love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evils. We are to flee these things. We are to evade these things. We are to defend against these things. We are to be fighters, truly. Not, not, in this, not necessarily in an external sense, but fighting for our hearts as we see all these things that take up our hearts, that, that rot our hearts, that, that direct us away from Christ. We are to flee them. On the flip side, we are to pursue other things. This one, Paul lists for us. Of course, this is not an extensive list, but we see, I, I, the more I look at this list, the more I love kind of how well-rounded it is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, 
love, steadfastness, and gentleness. That's a great list, obviously not exhaustive, but it's pretty great because if you look at it, if you kind of look at it in, in three pairs, it's, it's six things, right, in three pairs. The first two, righteousness and godliness, those are pretty straightforward, right? Uh, because we belong to God, be holy as I am holy is what God says to you and me. Uh, because we believe in him, because of what we believe, it affects and colors and changes everything we do, everything we think, everything we say. That's godliness, that's righteousness. And then the second pair, faith and love. I like that. I like how that's in the middle. Faith and love. That, that's, that's what's in the middle of us too. That's the internal source of our pursuit of godliness and righteousness. Our faith, our trust, our resting in Christ. Our love for God, our love for neighbor. I, do, I think those two are pretty straightforward. But how about the last two? These, I think, are the most interesting to me. Right? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love. You, you, could, you could almost like guess that those would be in a list like this. But I, like the, I love these last two. They're very interesting. Steadfastness, gentleness. Paul doesn't say this, but to me, these are also great tests of the first four. Steadfastness, that just simply means endurance, perseverance. Can you keep going with this? Right? Not just when you're at church or not just when it's January and you feel good about the new year. But is it something that we can keep pursuing, endure in pursuing? And especially when things are not going your way, can we still be ones who say, yes, I will pursue righteousness, godliness, faith and love, steadfastness? Or how about this last one, right? Gentleness. That to me is the greatest test because what good is someone who's seemingly very righteous, very godly, full of faith, even seemingly full of love, but not gentle, not able to deal gently with others? And of course, this is not like, can you be gentle with the little baby or can you be gentle with the nicest guy in the world? No, it's can you be gentle with the naysayer? Can you be gentle with the one who disagrees with you? Can you be gentle with the one who's very different from you, the way they act, the way they think, the way they speak, the way they look? Can you be gentle with them? That's how we know if, if we truly are pursuing actual righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. Can we be gentle with it? And of course, once again, these are not, this is not an exhaustive list, but Paul is simply giving us this idea of living the sanctified Christian life, fleeing and pursuing, fleeing and pursuing. And what we see here of also how we are to fight is quite simply the exertion required. You know, it's the end of the year, I'm tired. I'm always tired at the end of the year. I'm, I'm always psychologically so looking forward to just when January begins and the new year begins, I feel like it's like a fresh start. So I understand when I say the word exertion, it may not be the happiest word uh, on December 31st. And yet that is what we see in this charge. These are strong words Paul gives us. When Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, Paul's original audience, including Timothy, they would have re recognized, uh, actually this word fight is not so much a word about combat or warfare, but that this is a fight that evokes the imagery of athletic competition, athletic contest. UFC, right? And UFC fighting, or any kind of athletic competition for that matter. You don't gotta like UFC. Be it basketball, football, whatever. Any athletic endeavor requires exertion. It requires effort. 
I'm sorry, it's true. The Christian, please do not have any illusions about the Christian life. The Christian life is not meant to be, ever be something we cruise through. It's never meant to be something that you, know, you can just get on and just every, everything happens by osmosis, right? It is a life of exertion, of fleeing and pursuing, of fighting. And Paul wants to make very clear by using this word fight that it is a struggle. One Greek dictionary defines the word fight like this. To engage in intense struggle involving physical or non-physical force against strong opposition. Why does Paul use the word fight here? Also because he wants you to recognize there is opposition. We have opposition in many forms as Christians. Satan himself, of course, from the garden, he was opposing God's people. Of course, we have the world and all of its anti-gospel ways. But of course, we don't just point the fingers outwards. We have opposition even in our own sinful hearts. We have constant opposition. And if you know that, if you know that that Satan is working overtime, that there is always opposition in the life for the Christian, if we know that, there's no way we could ever dream that the Christian life, that to fight the good fight, would ever be something we cruise through. It's something that's going to require exertion and energy and effort. We gotta have some fight in us if we wanna live the Christian life. These are strong words. We already, already defined fight for you. Even flee, flee from these things. It doesn't mean like, you know, just slowly move away as you keep looking at it and maybe just tiptoeing towards it again. Flee means move quickly away from it. You gotta get, get out of there. Get out of that one. Right? Get away from that. Or what about pursue? Another very strong word. A word that the moment I say pursue, I think of one thing, unfortunately. I think of my dating days. Right? I think of when I was pursuing Priscilla. You know, not many of you probably know our story, and I'm not gonna tell the whole thing right now. But you know, Priscilla, she did not reciprocate my affections in the very beginning. Um, I had to work hard, I had to exert, I had to put on my A game, my triple A game, right? Um, you know, I had a lot of barriers to break through. We were already friends to begin with. So not only did I have the friend zone to break through, but I don't know if you know, she's actually two years older than me. So I also had to break through the older woman zone. Right? I had two barriers to break through. And when I, when I hear the word pursue, I, can, I just remember how hard I pursued her, how strong I, I tried, how hard, embarrassingly hard I prayed. Right? Uh, it, was, it was idolatrous, actually. It was sinful. Um, I'm, I'm not even joking. <laughs> And you know, that's the sort of intensity that I hope you can imagine when we see pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It's that sort of pursuit. You know, in the Greek, actually, that word pursue can even, in in the right context, it can even mean to persecute. That's how strong of an endeavor that is. So I like to joke, when I pursued Priscilla, I was actually persecuting her, right? Uh, It is a strong word, and it's meant to be. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that, therefore, all Christians are supposed to be like super intense people or uh, that Christians are supposed to be really aggressive people. That is not the point. When, When Paul says fight the good fight of faith, he is not talking about your flavor, right, like your personality. He's talking about your mindset. He's talking about your vigilance. He's talking about your consistency, 
You know, over and over again in the Old and New Testament, we actually see in the Hebrew and the Greek, we see these same commands over and over again. You'll notice it more and more. These same sorts of words such as watch and guard and keep, right? Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Keep my commands. Guard these things which I have entrusted to you. And we see it over and over again. And that is the fight, it's, it's, it's not to simply just cruise and let things just happen to us passively, but it's to pr- proactively be vigilant. Am I fleeing the things I need to flee? Am I pursuing the things I should be pursuing? Not just pursuing the girl, right? But pursuing that which is truly worth pursuing in this good fight of faith that we see here. That's what we see. And you know, it requires exertion. It, it makes us tired. And that's why we have a weekly Sabbath, something as regular as a weekly Sabbath. That's why you're here today, because we need to be fed. We need to be refreshed. We need to be energized. We need to be strengthened. You know, if the Christian life was not a fight, then maybe you could come to church just on Christmas, right? You could just come to church on Easter, and that's it. But if the Christian life is a fight, we need that weekly, weekly worshiping together, strengthening each other, that weekly communion. Of course, it's not even just a once a week thing. That's why God gives us private times of prayer, private times of the word. That's why God gives us your small group, your community, your people, your brothers and sisters who walk alongside you because we all need our breaks in between rounds because the Christian life is a fight. That's why we have so many things happening so regularly. God made it that way. He designed it that way. Because he knew we'd be fighting in this life. And that leads us actually to our second point. Why do we fight? What drives us to fight? We don't fight by our own strength, by our own energy. We fight by the grace of God. We fight by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So what drives us to fight? Why do we do it? Let me, let me look, turn your attention to verse 12 of our text. After Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. He says this very important statement. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This is the part where I need to make sure I'm crystal clear with you guys. Crystal clear. Paul is not saying fight the good fight of faith so that you could get eternal life. Right? Paul is saying take hold of the eternal life which you've already been called to. Take hold of the eternal life which Christ has already secured for you. Right? We are to fight the good fight. Why are we to do it? What's supposed to drive us? It's, it's while you're holding on to that eternal life which Christ already got for you. Right? It's not so that you can get it, you're reaching for it, and it's, it's in the distance. But it's because you already have it, you're taking hold of it, you're grasping it, you're holding it tightly. And that's what, because you're holding it so tightly, you're, you're able to fight, you're able to move forward, you're able to exert, you're able to flee, you're able to pursue. That is the eternal life. And of course, when you think about eternal life, naturally, you know, the first thing we think of is heaven, right? Eternal life is heaven. And so I want to play a little bit of a word association with you. We're going to play a little game. It's not really a game. This is a sermon still, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just going to say one word, and I want you to think of what word comes up to your mind as you, as you hear the word I say, right? What descriptor comes to mind, right? Here's the word association game. I'm going to say the word, you think of the word. Heaven. What word comes to your mind? You don't have to say it out loud, but you, know, you probably think of something, some kind of description, maybe no more tears, no more pain, uh, being with Jesus, streets of gold, clouds. I don't know. You might think of a lot of different things. And those would all be good and right you know, and biblical. 
But hey, let me tell you what, what word association Peter gives to heaven. In 2 Peter 3.13, he describes uh, heaven in one way. He says, heaven is the place where righteousness dwells. Don't you find that interesting? He could have said anything there. He could have said, heaven is a place where there is no more pain. Heaven is a place where you know, everyone's happy. Heaven is a place where everyone's with Jesus. But he says specifically, heaven is the place where righteousness dwells. He, he speaks of it in, in a, the category of righteousness. And I think it's something that we need to remember. As great as it is and important as it is that heaven is a place where there's no more pain and no more tear, where we are, we are in true bliss. Please don't forget, heaven is also a place where there's no more sin. Heaven is a place for fighters, right? for those who have been fighting and now their fight is finally complete. Now the bell has finally rung and what they've been fighting for, they finally have in completion. Righteousness dwells there. And you know this eternal life that Christ has secured, not because of anything that we've done, not because of our fight, but through his life, his death and resurrection, he has secured this eternal life for us. But can I please tell you, this eternal life, this eternal life is not just about something where we die and that's where it all begins. Right? The life that Christ secured for you and me is not just the eternal life after we die, but it's the new life we have now. It's the new life that begins now. Listen to a couple of these passages. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us. In other words, he died for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Interesting. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus again, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on that cross. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus died so that you could fight. Now, please don't get me wrong. It is so of utmost importance. We have to get this right first, that Jesus died to forgive us of our sin. That Jesus died to save us, to, uh, to bring us into the household of God, to adopt us as sons and daughters to secure for us this eternal life. Yes, absolutely. But please don't forget that Jesus also died, as, tit- as we saw in Titus and 1 Peter. He died to make you a fighter. He died to make you actually able to fight, to actually make you able to pursue godliness and righteousness, faith, hope, faith, love, and gentleness and steadfastness. Christ died to make you holy now. Of course, not perfectly, We'll never be perfect here on this earth. But because we're looking forward to our eternal life where righteousness dwells, he starts it now. Have have any of you known someone who's been bedridden for a long period of time? Like just someone who, because of sickness or injury, they've just been stuck in bed or perhaps even stuck in a hospital for a long period of time? You know, we have a brother actually at our church who because he got sick, he was stuck in bed for, I want to say one to two months. It was a long time. It was grueling. He was stuck there. You run out of a lot. You run out of things to do real fast. And I remember he even he was getting so so tired of being stuck in that hospital bed. He even asked us to cover the clock because it felt like time was moving so slowly. And could you imagine if after the, that month or two passed, and the doctor comes in and says, "Well, now you're well enough. You can go. You can get out of bed. You can get out of the hospital. You could go. You could go home." Could you imagine if my friend? If our brother said, no, I like you here. 
I've grown accustomed to this bed. It's quite comfortable. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to get off this bed. I don't want to relieve my back sores. I just, I'm going to stay in bed. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be? We would like slap him out of bed. We'd say, get out of there. You got to leave. You got to go. Right? We, we would hate for him to be stuck in bed still, even when he doesn't have to be. And you know what? That's what sin is, isn't it? Isn't sin being spiritually bedridden? It's, you know, as the Bible describes sin as slavery, it's being stuck. And you know what Christ does? He cleanses us not only from the guilt of sin, the verdict, the guilty verdict in God's courtroom, but as we sing in Rock of Ages, he, Christ cleanses us not only from the gift, guilt of sin, but from the power of sin. Christ died for you and me so that we can now have power to actually fight against our sin, so that we can now actually have power to get out of bed. We can actually now fight the good fight. We couldn't fight before. Now we can be fighters because of what Christ has done. Now you ever, well, I don't know, maybe some of you are tall, but at least for me, you ever meet someone who's really tall or has a really good build, but then they don't do anything athletic ever? I get so upset when I meet tall guys and they don't do anything, like those rare, rare tall guys who just never play any sport or try to do anything athletic. It's such a waste, right? It's such a waste of ability and possibility. I pray you and I, we would, reckon, we would take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called. We would take hold of the fact that Christ, in his death on the cross, in his, new, in his resurrection, in the new life we have in him, that we actually have a new ability. We can be spiritually tall. You can be. You, you weren't able before, but now you can. Now you can fight. Now you can pursue. Now you can flee. Would you take hold of it? Would you take hold of it? We fight because we have the ability now. We fight, once again, grasping the eternal life that Christ has already secured for, for us, especially on that cross. And this moves, leads us to our last point. Who's watching this fight? This is actually an extension of the why. Who's watching this fight? Very, it's very, uh, I was so glad we sang that song earlier today. Would you look in verse 13 of our text? Or if you don't have your Bible, you can just uh, listen to it. Verse 13. After uh, you know, Paul charges Timothy and the rest of the church, fight the good fight of faith, he says, I charge you in the presence of God. Who's watching this fight? God is. I charge you to fight the good fight of faith. In the presence of God. I'm so glad we sang that today. Let us become more aware of your presence. But please don't think that when Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, he's not saying, Timothy, uh uh-oh, God is watching. Make sure you're a good boy. Don't do the bad things, right? Maybe you say that to your kids sometimes. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, in the presence of God, Timothy recognized that you are to walk with the Lord in this good fight. I, mean, we, I love this phrase. It's a Latin phrase. We say, we, we say to live quorum Deo. Just simply means the face of God. To live in such a way where you recognize that you are always before the face of God. That he is always present. He's always present. But please note, this is not a scary thing. This is not a frightening thing. What does Paul say right after he mentions the presence of God? He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. The presence of God is an empowering presence. It's not frightening. The face of God, Coram Deo, is the smile of God in Christ. In Christ, God's smile is big towards you. 
And it's when we live quorum Deo, not, not just on Sunday, not just at church, not just in front of certain people, not just when, when it's, it's, I feel good about things and it's, you know, I just got back from a retreat or the new year just began, but it's when I'm always before the presence of God, that's when we actually get genuine change. That's when we actually get true holiness, not, not compartmentalized holiness, not counterfeit holiness, but consistent holiness. Because we live quorum Deo, because we recognize God is watching the fight. But when he's watching, he's not saying, you better not mess up. When he's watching, he's cheering for you. He's cheering. He's cheering you on. He's saying, I know you can do it. Just take hold of that eternal life, which I've already called you to. And his face is an empowering one. But he's not the only one watching, actually. In verse 14, Paul says, uh, keep this commandment to fight the good fight unstained and free from reproach. I think this one's very straightforward. I won't spend too much time on this. But our fight is also our witness to the unbelieving world. Free from reproach. That means people are watching. So fight the good fight well. Because the unbelieving world is watching. Matthew 5, 16, 1 Peter 2, 12, these are both passages that very clearly tell us that how we live is actually our witness. I, hope that, I don't think that's a newsflash to anybody, right? That how you live is gonna be your witness to your non-Christian friends and family. And think about even this. How does the Great Commission go? Right, the, the very famous Matthew 28, Great Commission, the mission of the church. How does that go? I, I think for many of us, at least, we have it probably somewhere in our head, somewhere, right? Uh, how does it begin? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I fear that we stop there. That's a lot of times, that's, that's the Great Commission to us, converting people, and that's it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right, even the Great Commission is not just converting people to Christ, but it's converting them to Christ and teaching them how to fight, to observe all that I have commanded you. Our witness is the good fight. Our, our mission is the good fight. And we live, we, we need to be fighters because Christ died to make us fighters. Because we live quorum Deo, because the unbelieving world is watching, that's why we fight. That's what drives us to fight. Not by our strength, but by the grace of God. Not by our movement, but by the movement of the Holy Spirit and us cooperating with the Holy Spirit. As we close, let me just give you a couple comforts. I, I fully recognize this is the type of message that, it is a charge. Paul gave a very clear charge to Timothy and the church that would read this. It's a charge from me to you. As, as a preacher of the word. It's a charge from God to me as I prepare this and preach this to myself. And, and, and these sorts of charges can be, uh, it can be kind of tiring to, to consider. It can be a little daunting. But let me come for you with this. Fighting, pursuing, fleeing, all of these commands Embedded in all of those commands is this understanding that there will be struggle, that there will even be failure, that there will be stumbles along the way. Fighting the good fight does not mean that you're supposed to be perfect, right? It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be drown drowning in guilt any time you fail, but it actually means that you will struggle, and it's okay, it's good to struggle. Let me tell you right now, a struggling Christian is a real Christian. 
It's actually when you're not struggling that you have to ask yourself what's going on with me. When, there's, when you think to yourself, you know, I've, I've pursued everything and I have it all and I've fled everything. I, there's nothing more to flee from. There's no more struggle in my life. I'm there. I've made it. I've been Christian long enough. I made it. That's when you've got to worry. Right? But a struggling Christian is a real Christian. As Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. From the moment you're born again to the moment of your death, you're repenting all the way through. You're never, you're never done until, we, until we're in heaven. A struggling Christian is a real Christian. And that goes for your witness also. Your non-Christian friends and family, they're not looking to you to see perfection. Right? They're not going to think, well, because you're Christian, you better be perfect. But they will think this. Because you're Christian, you better take it seriously. Because you're Christian, I better see that you're trying. <laughs> That's what's going to compel them, right? Not your perfection, but your fight. That's what's going to make them say, wow, this guy, like, he's, per- he's pursuing these things steadfastly and, and being gentle while at it. That's what's going to compel them. Let me close with this. Let me close with the way Paul closes for us. Paul gives this strong charge to this man of God. But, you know, somewhere throughout the way, Paul gets caught up and he ends up transitioning to this doxology, to this to this praise to God. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. How do we get this good fight in us? We need to end with on worship. We need to start with on worship. We need to have in the middle on worship. When we are caught up in the greatness of God, that's when we get real holiness. When, when we're caught up in the big capital H holiness of God, that's when we can actually start to be a little bit more lowercase h holy. Right? Please, when, when we talk about being, uh, fighting the good fight of faith, pursuing godliness, righteousness, it never means that thinking, it, mean, it never means that we start to think we're superior. It never means that uh, we're trying to be superior but it does mean that you are caught up in the one who is. It means you are caught up in the one who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Those are some high words. He's basically, he's referring to Christ here, saying Christ dwells in unapproachable light. Christ even cannot be seen as God. Right? You can't look directly at him. And yet to think the, this great God, who you can't even see, right, or you'll die, would become a man would become a baby born in a manger, would become a servant washing dirty feet, and would become a criminal or be treated as a criminal on a cross. When you get caught up in that greatness of God and that love of God, that humility of God, that's when we get real change. That's when you can really fight the good fight and fight it well and fight it real. You may have heard this uh, illustration before, but... Every other year or so, Priscilla and I, we like to get Christmas trees, like real Christmas trees, not the plastic ones. And, you know, we decorate it, we put lights on it, and we're all happy that's there, it smells good. But around this time of year, by the end of December, you can imagine what starts to happen. It starts to get really sad looking. It's all slumping one way. The leaves are all brittle. And it makes you realize all along, this tree was dead. It never was alive. Once we cut it off and put it in our home, it was never alive. 
But we covered it up with all these pretty things and lights and ornaments. We have, a, instead of a star, I have a little Darth Vader thing. And we covered it up, made it look real nice, but actually it is dead. It has been dead, and it just gets more dead. And when you hear a charge like this, the goal is not to become a Christmas tree. The goal is not to just put all this good stuff on the outside when we're really dead inside. Please don't be a Christmas tree. When you hear a charge like this, we need to run to the source. We need to run to the root, Jesus himself. And it's when we're rooted in Christ, when we're taken up by the greatness of Christ and the humility of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ for you and for me, the eternal life to which we've already been called, that's when we get real life change. That's when we get that's when we become truly alive. And that's when we can fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray together.